Got to turn back again this uh, this week. I think last time I tried to tried to finish up some things in Galatians chapter five, and I never did quite. I ended up just kind of jumping from Galatians four over to Galatians five and kind of quitting uh, on the on the time that we had last time. But uh, continuing to talk about the things in this last portion of Scripture, uh, maybe if the Lord will bless me this afternoon to be able to get get over there to that portion uh, to talk about kind of one of Paul's, uh, as he's gone through several sermons, and we could look, go back and look at over the last number of months, probably since uh, November, uh, we've been talking about some things about taking heed uh, to what uh, uh, to a number of take heed scriptures that the Bible's talked about. And we tried to frame this thing in the very beginning that uh, if, if the Word of God tells us to take heed to something, then we ought to take heed to that. Uh, and, that and all that means is we ought to pay attention to it. Uh, we ought to pay attention, the Bible says, to ourselves, to the doctrine, uh, to the things we hear, uh, to the things we say. And so uh, as, we, as we look at that this afternoon, and we've talked about, uh, you know, the Bible tells us that we ought to give, t- give the more earnest heed to the things we've heard uh, in Hebrews. And then in uh, one of the very last times when, the, when that phrase is used uh, over in, uh, in the book of Peter, uh, he talks about the fact, the fact that we should uh, take take heed. Uh, the Bible says in Second uh, Peter chapter uh, one verse nineteen uh, that we have a more sure word of prophecy. Uh, why, you know, is it if we have a more sure word? Why is it we have a more sure word of prophecy? Because uh, the prophecies of Jesus Christ have been fulfilled. We've seen those things actually come to play. Uh, and we may have mentioned this last time as we were mentioning this, this particular scripture, is the fact that when we think about, well, we have a more, uh, uh, we have a more uh, sure word of prophecy. Think, of, think about this for a moment. You know, if you think about how we struggle uh, as we look forward to the, uh, to the last days and we look at things like Revelation, the book of Revelation, and how is all of that going to be fulfilled when Christ comes back again? Think about the the great challenge that uh, not just the first not the first century church, but the pre-Christian people of God, the Jewish people of God who had the scriptures. Think about the struggle that they had reading uh, prophecies that were laid out in Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah and all those places where prophecies were. And you had prophecies there that were not only of the first coming of Christ but of the second coming of Christ at the same time. Think about what a great struggle that was for them to try to sort through what do these prophecies mean. And so when, when Peter says we have a more sure word of prophecy today, we do because we have seen Christ come. We've seen Christ say that he's coming back again, uh, that no man knows the day, the time, the hour, and so forth. Uh, not even the angels of heaven know these things. So he's, he, they've taken a portion of prophecy of Scripture and, and made it more sure for us and at the same time given, a, given us the assurance that if he came this first time, he's going to come the second time. Uh, to take us home to be in glory with Him. So we do have a more sure word of prophecy to us today. But here in Galatians, part of what we were talking about, uh, about this uh, portion of Scripture, and I'm going to turn over to Galatians chapter 5 and read the verse of Scripture and then come back to this uh, as we read up to it because I think the Scriptures that come just before it are very important to giving uh, better understanding. And in Galatians chapter 5 verse 15 it says, but if you, if you bite and devour one another, 
take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. Uh, and uh, we will talk, I guess, specifically, you know, as we get into this, this this afternoon, we'll talk specifically about what that means in, in the context of the Scripture here in Galatians 5. But if you think about us in general today, uh, that's true whether it be uh, in our churches, uh, in our in our nation, uh, in our marriages, you know, if you bite, if you bite and take heed, uh, that if you bite and devour one another, that you not be consumed one of another. Uh, you know, and and I know all of us uh, think about this, and and everybody everybody's personalities are a little bit different. But you think about a, a married couple. Uh, if you're constantly biting uh, or the discouraging, talking bad about, constantly putting down the other party, then you're going to bite and devour one another. And be, be, be sure you're going to be consumed one of another you're eventually in your marriage, in your home, in your family. And I think that's true if we think about how we handle our children. Uh, if we're constantly uh, criticizing them, and especially if we're overly critical, uh, and maybe how we criticize them or how we train them. That's the reason I love the words back over in the Old Testament Scripture when it says, train up a child in the way that he should go. That means you're supposed to both teach and set the example for them. That would, that would hold true for us, as Brother Adams talked about here this morning in his sermon, talking about us as a church going out and making disciples. If we're going to train one another... Uh, or if we're going to train up our children in the way they should go, we're both got to teach them and show them and tell them and, and do it again and again and again. But the, that which gets us around to the warning then that's given over in Ephesians chapter, uh, I think Ephesians chapter 6, where it talks about, <clears throat> Ye fathers, uh, provoke not your children to wrath. Why, why, why do children grow up? Maybe a lot of times I'm, there's all kinds of reasons, I guess. But why would children grow up to be uh, wrathful against their pa- parents or their father? Because the way you trained them up brought more wrath from them than it did in teaching them in the love and caring and compassionate way of showing them, showing them, showing them, and showing them. Uh, I had uh, I, I was telling Derek this this week. Uh, it made me it made me zone back to parenting days and things y'all have heard me heard me say uh, a bunch of times here at Zion's Rest Church. Uh, but I used to make the comments, you know. Well, uh, I've told my children a hundred times, you know, and uh, and uh, my wife would gently say yes, and you may have to tell them a hundred and one. Uh, but it made me think about this fact. I was I was listening to this uh, one of the uh, football football coaches uh, comments, and he he made the comment. He says. If you have to tell your players a thousand times and they're still not doing it, the problem is you're not doing it. You're not teaching them right or not holding them accountable for what you're teaching them. And I thought, whoa, that would really go back to my parenting example uh, of uh, saying, you know, I've told them a hundred times, but if they're still not doing it, somehow or another, I'm not holding them accountable for what I'm teaching them. And so uh, it's a good example to go back and say, take heed... Uh, that you take heed that you be not consumed one of another. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you don't be consumed one of another. All right, so if we go back here in Galatians, and I'll try to move through this. I know it's afternoon. I know children are restless, 
And so uh, I'll try not to spend as much time as I probably could spend talking about the next few chapters here in, in Galatians. Uh, but here in, uh, in Galatians chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, we can go on into 6. Uh, but the Apostle Paul, as has been mentioned here in the past, he's writing to the church at Galatia. He's concerned, he's concerned because he's heard. And, you know, implication is, as we read through this, uh, that at least there's at least one person here at the church at Galatia that is teaching a doctrine or a gospel, a, a form of the gospel that's not uh, the true good news of Jesus Christ. And the reason it's not the good news of Jesus Christ is because he's gone beyond saying Jesus is all you need. Jesus is your is your. He's gone on and tried to add on to that a portion of the law of uh, being circumcised. And uh, and, uh, and and Paul is gently and not maybe somewhat gently, but uh, directly going back and telling them, you know, if you're going to do the law, you're going to have to do the whole law. Uh, and I, I thought about this as I, I meditated and thought upon this scripture. It's not that the law is bad. He tells us here the law is a schoolmaster, but it's a schoolmaster or a trainer and a teacher to lead us to Christ. It's to teach us that uh, the law says do good, <laughs> love the Lord, love your God, uh, don't commit to adultery and murder and so forth and lying and stealing. So the law is good. It's telling us the right things, but all it's trying to do is to lead us to the fact that <coughs> We can't keep the law in perfection. We're going to be sinners. We're going to be. Uh, we're going to fail in in the things that we try to do to serve to serve God, and that we need a Savior by the name of Jesus Christ uh, uh, to take away our sins and to uh, uh, make peace between us and, and God the Father. So uh, he tells us here, and I think part of where I stopped off at last time. I'm going to read uh, the last verse of. Uh, uh, chapter 3, he says, If you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Uh, the true children of Abraham are the children of Christ. Uh, and he says, If you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all. <coughs> Uh, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father, even so, or in like manner, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Now, let me just say this. The law that we were under is the law of sin and death, the very first law that God gave to Adam and Eve there in the garden, that the day that they disobeyed Him <coughs> and ate of that fruit, they, they were condemned by the law of sin and death. Uh, and, the, and He says, The day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die, or death will come upon you. And all of your family. But he says, but when the fullness of time was come. I love that phrase there that when it was God's perfect time. And Brother Adam was talking this morning about the second coming of Christ. You know what? We're not going to rush it up getting here any more than what uh, 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 the children of Israel or their, the failings of the children of Israel rushed up God's perfect timing when his son came the first time. He's going to come at God's time, uh, and we might as well reconcile ourselves to that will be uh, when God wants it to be, okay? And what we're to do is continue serving, waiting, uh, praising, looking, and being faithful to the day of Jesus Christ comes back 
that second time. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, uh, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. We were adopted into the family of God by the blood of Jesus Christ and <coughs> by His sacrifice. And He tells us here in verse 6, Because ye are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. I think there's a principle taught here, and I don't want to—I uh, don't want to make this too uh, too complicated because it's just fairly simple. We were sons uh, chosen by God before the foundation of the world, before we were ever sons by uh, actual uh, having that spirit placed within us. So, uh, because you were sons by the choice of the Father before the foundation of the world, God sent His Spirit into our hearts. And when He sent His Spirit into our hearts, it caused us to cry out to our Heavenly Father. <coughs> and then He says, Therefore, or wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Uh, how be it then? And He's building this whole case here to say, uh, if you're a son and an heir of God... Why would you want to go back to being a servant and a child that didn't have this uh, blessing in your life and go back under the law and try to try to serve and please God through a bondage and through a method that uh, you never could perfect, uh, that you never could complete, and it, it robs Jesus Christ of the glory that He deserves in all that you do. And then He gets over there, and I'll, I'll skip across this, but He says... Uh, he gives an example of uh, of Sarah and Hagar, how they both had children. Hagar's child was of the flesh, uh, uh, total work of the flesh by Abraham and uh, even Sarah and Hagar. And the fact that and she's, he says, this work of the flesh represents Mount Sinai, which represents the law. And he says, you can keep the law, even, even in a sense, you can do it. It's, it's a fleshly thing. It's not a spiritual thing. And he said, also, the flesh was constantly criticizing the spirit, or, or the son of the flesh uh, was persecuting uh, the son of the spirit, which was, uh, which was uh, Isaac. And uh, he says, even so it is today. Uh, so as we look at this, he tells us, uh, he that was born, verse 29, after the, after the flesh, persecuted him that was born after the spirit. Nevertheless, what saith the scripture, cast out the bondwoman and her son, uh, <clears throat> for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. I'll tell you, I think that gives us you think about what Brother Adam was saying this morning about how we spend so much time maybe pursuing after the things of the world uh, and talking about building up wealth and so forth and planning and doing and all those things. <clears throat> you know, when we get it through our uh, thick minds, <laughs> thick skulls, <laughs> when we get it through this, that we are not really children of the flesh. Wow, now you start now you start putting on you can start putting on a different mindset. I think it's that man, mindset that we have to get to to say, you know what? Uh, I may be by the flesh, I may be Charles Kitchens, I may be the son of Herbert and Lucille Kitchens, but you know what? My biggest identifying factor should be that I'm the son of the free woman, which is Jerusalem, which is above, which is Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. I'm their son. Now then, who am, I who am I going to let train me up? 
Who am I going to, what guidance am I going to use to train me? Am I going to use the ranting, raving examples of the flesh or the, uh, of the fleshly world as my examples? Or am I going to use examples of the Spirit to be my example? And so he says, you're, you're not brethren, you're not children of the bondwoman. You're not children of this fleshly act. You're actually children of the free woman. So he goes on and says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. You and I are not to be entangled again in the yoke and the bondage and the, and the ever, ever going grind of saying, You know what? I've got, if I don't keep this law just right. Then, uh, then surely I'm going to, you know, die and go to hell or whatever else you know you want to think about. But <coughs> don't let that bondage get on you, and don't let let the let the liberty that we have in Christ Jesus set us free from the bondage of the weight of our sins. Christ has made us free from those things, brothers and sisters, and so we need to live more in that liberty of of freedom of knowing that we've been set free from that. Now, uh, you know. Brother Adam, I guess, makes, sometimes makes me think, you know, that maybe I've done just a poor job over the years of saying certain things certain ways, uh, but I want to try to do it better and tell you that this, this afternoon, just because you've been set free and given liberty in, in Christ Jesus doesn't mean that you have some kind of license to go out here and live any way that, you, uh, that your flesh would want to do, but you're to let that Spirit guide you and lead you to, to walk in the Spirit, to follow after the things of Jesus Christ and be good examples and good disciples of His and followers of His while we live here in this world. But he says, Stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage don't let uh, the weight of sin bind us down. Recognize that we've been born from above. We've been set free. That we're children of the King. We're sons of, of Jesus, uh, of, the, of the Father and brothers with Jesus Christ. And so we have, a, we have been set free from the bondage of this weight of sin that's upon us. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, uh, Christ shall profit you nothing. Uh, and I think we understand we've got to put this in the context of what he's saying because uh, I'm not standing up here condemning circumcision and, and the fact of from a health standpoint and from our, our lives and so forth. But he says, if you think you have to have that done to be, uh, uh, to be uh, saved and to be born again and to have all these things, he says, you missed the point. Uh, he says, uh, uh, if, you, if I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ profits you nothing. You're not really seeing that Jesus Christ is all you need. Jesus Christ is the true circumcision of your heart. He's the one that peeled away, away the flesh of your heart and gave, took away that old hard and stony heart and gave you a heart of flesh, a heart of feeling, a heart of love. <clears throat> so <clears throat> he says, Christ, for if you... For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to the whole law. If you, if you think this is something that you had to do, and I guess I'd go back and look at some of the examples of, uh, you know, the, of men that uh, maybe, uh, maybe didn't have this done. You know, we go back and look at some of the, uh, the Greeks and so forth that were, that were teaching and preaching among the, uh, the early church. Paul didn't go around saying, hey. Uh, Timothy, you've got to be circumcised. You know, he didn't go around preaching and teaching those kind of things. And how this came in, uh, probably through early Jewish influences there in the church, 
uh, they tried to add back in and make uh, make the law part of the uh, the worship service, but they were they were missing the point. Uh, he says, uh, uh, "For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace." Uh, you know. Brother Adam talks about expressions and terms, you know, that people say, well, you can't be fallen from grace. Well, Paul said you could, uh, and I think you can be in the sense of what he's talking about here. You're falling away from the true blessings and insights of that grace gives us. God's grace, we're saved by His grace, and it's a wonderful, marvelous thing that it's not by what I, what I do, by what I say, but by the finished work of Jesus Christ. And he says, if you try to go back under the law, you're making grace of none effect in your life. You're basically kind of pushing grace off to the side. And he says, For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of the righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ there is neither, circum- neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. There's a, one of those great expressions. How does faith work? Faith works by love. I love my Savior. I love my God. And, and because of that, my faith, were, and not only that, but He loved me. And so my faith that I have through the new birth is a work of the love of Jesus Christ in my life. Now, faith in me also works by love. And so he says, For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of the righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision. And all he's basically saying is it doesn't matter. That's not something Jesus Christ is sitting on the right hand of the throne of the Father saying, Oh, wait a minute. We got some uncircumcised down there. We need to be concerned. No. He says that doesn't avail anything when it comes to your pleas and cries before Christ. It means nothing. And he says... The only thing that matters to him is faith. He looks in your life and sees faith in your life, just like he did in Abraham in that day. Uh, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. And because of the faith and trust and belief of of Abraham, God blessed Abraham uh, to be a father of many nations. So he says faith is what means something to him. Uh, And so anyway, so we'll, we'll leave it that. He says, you did run well. Who did hinder you that you should should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. So he's making it clear. This idea y'all have gotten in your heads that you have to be circumcised. He said, it didn't come from the one that called you from a death in sins to a life in Christ. It's not the one that called you to do this. And he says, you, you were running well. You were on the right track. He says, but who did hinder you? You were being hindered. Uh, that you should not obey the truth. This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. We have heard that phrase before by Jesus Christ uh, talking about the uh, the uh, the deeds of the Pharisees. He said, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And Paul repeats that here. He said, I had confidence in you through the Lord that you will, that you will be none otherwise minded, but he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment whosoever he be. Paul makes it sound like there's one person. Now, Paul doesn't call the name, doesn't say the name, not sure if he knows the name, but he obviously calls this guy out and says, uh, I, I feel certain uh, that he that is, uh, I have confidence through the Lord that you will be of none otherwise minded, but he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment whosoever he be. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision... Why do I yet suffer persecution 
then is the offense of the cross ceased. Paul said, if I'm talking about, if I was preaching to you circumcision, then the cross and Jesus Christ and the finished work of Jesus Christ, uh, that, that offense would be ceased then. He said, it offends a lot of people to say it's Jesus Christ and him alone and it's taking away the things of the law. He says, that offends some people. He said, the offense of the cross would be ceased if I was out here preaching, oh yeah, let's go back under the law and let's have circumcision to go with this as well. But he says, I would that they were even cut off which trouble you. Uh, We could go into a lot and discuss a lot about that, but uh, that word cut off means basically that they were dead to you that they were cut off from you, that that trouble you. For brethren, we have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion for the flesh, but by love serve one another. So there's the example again and again that's taught to us in the Word of God that about uh, our liberty. You've been called to liberty. You've been called to the fact that you've been set free, that God has set you free from the weight of the burden of the law and of sin and all the troubles that, uh, that beset us. He says... Just don't use your liberty as an occasion for the flesh. God set you free. God saved you by His grace. He's, he's redeemed you. He's uh, done the finished work. Don't use that freedom that you have to go out and say, Well, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yes, it does to God. That's the reason He gave us the law and told us, Don't do this. Don't do this. Have no other gods besides me. It matters to Him. He says, For all the law is fulfilled in one word. We've heard this before. Uh, and we'll say it again. I think when you read 14 and 15 and 16 together, then this whole phrase that I started out preaching about makes a little more sense. He says, For the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. <clears throat> but, see, notice how these sentences flow together. <laughs> For the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, who? You and your neighbors. If you and your neighbors are biting and devouring one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. And he says, this I say then, what's the cure? Walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. What's the, what's the cure for you and me to many of the troubles that are, that are afflicting us in the world today? People aren't walking in the spirit. They're walking in the flesh. It's, uh, it's you get me, I'll get you. We'll make a big stink. We'll see what all we can do. And we get in the flesh and not in the spirit about how we act and conduct ourselves. And so I, my encouragement to you, and I'll, I'm going to stop here. Uh, but he says, because uh, uh, he, go, he goes on and things, and I, I don't even want to, want to dive off down into that trail this afternoon. But, uh, but he tells us, walk in the spirit. And you'll not fulfill the deeds of the flesh. Well, what does it mean then to walk in the Spirit? Love one another as God has loved us. Love your neighbor. Love your enemies. Uh, abstain from those things which would do harm to you. Abstain from, uh, from the wickedness of this world. Uh, that's walking in the Spirit. That's the reason he goes on, I think, then to give us the fruits of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And that's also the reason he gives us then the examples of the fruit of the flesh or the, uh, uh, the works of the flesh, uh, which he tells us then what they are. If you walk in the Spirit, 
you won't be fulfilling all these desires out there to do all the wickedness that all the world says, hey, this is great. No, it's not. It'll kill you. <laughs> It'll kill you, kill your family, destroy your community, and so forth. So anyway, I trust that as we think about this and as we maybe move on to some other things in the, in the future, uh, but you'll continue to maybe think about this phrase that we've used so often over the last number of months. Uh, take heed. Take heed what you hear. Take heed what you do. Take heed uh, how you treat these little, little ones among you. That's one of the ones Jesus said. Uh, take heed that you be not deceived. That's, that's another one that we've had been told. And then uh, be thankful that we have a more sure word of prophecy that we should take unt- heed unto as a light shining on a dark place. May God bless you uh, this coming week. Uh, I'm looking at a small group of folks here this afternoon, but uh, we have enough that we can take heed to, just uh, taking heed to how we train our children, uh, how we conduct ourselves before one another at work, uh, and uh, in our community, we've got plenty to take heed to by taking heed to ourselves. May God bless you is our prayer.